You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Southside, my name is Ricky Wilson. I'm privileged and honored to be here with y'all this morning. A couple things about me. I move around a lot. So live stream people, just so you know. Second, I'm pretty monotoned, so y'all are just going to have to deal with me on that one, right? I'm not very excitable, and uh, I preach for a really long time. So we'll get out of here by 1 o'clock, <laughs> but it's going to be a good day. I'm super excited to be here. It, it's interesting. I've been sick for the last three days, so I haven't had any energy, but then I got in the car this morning, and the Holy Spirit was like, you don't have to rely on your own energy. I'm going to give you energy. And so we're going to preach the Word today. How does that sound? We're going to get into the Bible. We're going to preach King Jesus because there's one thing that I'm convinced about. The word of God never comes back void. And I don't know where you're at today, but I promise the Holy Spirit's got something for you. I don't know how you came in here, but you're going to leave here different. Want to know why? Because the Holy Spirit and his power to transform hearts, minds, and souls. It's not because Ricky Wilson's a good preacher. It's because what Ricky Wilson preaches. That's going to make a good day. Y'all feel me? Y'all don't seem very excited, so we're going to get there, okay? (laughs) Hey, in Philippians chapter 4, there was a guy named Paul, and Paul is thanking the churches for their faithfulness and their generosity. Here's something awesome. Seven years ago, I preached at this church. If you were here seven years ago, you may have remembered me. Uh, Here's how you would know me. I was a drug dealer. So my testimony, some of y'all may remember. Seven years ago, I was 24 years old, and I preached at this church and had a crazy idea to plant a church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I had just moved here from Cincinnati, Ohio. I had a one-month-old, and I had this guy with me. He kind of drove from Spartanburg with me. His name was Taylor. And Taylor had been a Christian for about three months. He had moved with us to start this church. I'd led him to Jesus at a flag football tournament. And so, Southside, let me speak this to you. Over the last seven years, God has done something I could have never imagined. We started one church and then proceeded to plant five churches over the last five years. We have seen over 400 salvations and baptisms in the last five years. Yeah, that's something to clap about. It's not because of Ricky Wilson, but think about this. Here's the awesome part. You sowed a seed seven years ago that led to that movement. Some of you don't even remember it. Some of you didn't know that you did it. But you sowed a seed in that movement seven years ago. So like Paul in the book of Philippians, church, I thank you for your investment in the kingdom of God. And all that you did to see the upstate transformed through the power of the gospel by taking a risk on a 24-year-old church planter who you'd let fill your pulpit and preach the word of God and who you sent out here with a little bit of money to go and to continue to do the thing that God had called him to do. And that was moved in bigger ways than anybody ever could have imagined. Led to five new churches because the power of Jesus, but thank you for your generosity, investing a seed in the kingdom of God. Now here's something else cool. That guy that was with me, who had been a Christian for about three months, he pastors ID Downtown now, a church that was started a year ago, which is already averaging over 100 people, all under the age of 25, and baptized 30 people this year. That man had only been a Christian for three months. But through intentional discipleship and the power of Jesus, he's pastoring a local congregation to fulfill the Great Commission. Church, that is what it's about. It's about the movement of God, which cannot be stopped by anything. No gate of hell, no gossip, 
No sin can stop the power of God because this is God's church. All over the country and all over South Carolina, these are God's churches. And when we act in the ways of God, when we find the honey in the rock and we move forward, we find the manna, we find the water, and we move forward in the name of God, the gates of Hades will not prevail because the name of Jesus is greater than any obstacle that stands in our way. The name of Jesus is what will give us all direction, clarity, and it is what will give us the fulfillment of the Great Commission, which in turn will allow us to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Because that's good. Because our Jesus is good. We're going to be in John chapter 21 today, and we're going to walk through this awesome moment. See, each moment matters. Every moment that you have had has mattered up to this point. Every moment that you have experienced has mattered. Probably some moments brought you to this moment. Today, you may have walked in here just to come worship. You may have walked in here because someone invited you. You may have walked in here because it was what you were supposed to do. But I promise you, if you allow, God wants to present you with a moment, a moment that could change your life. Hey, 11 years ago, I was presented with a moment. I was a drug dealer, had been dealing drugs since the age of 12. Both my parents were meth addicts. My mom had stabbed my dad and went to prison. And my grandpa, the pimp, came down and taught me how to sell drugs at 12 years old. So for eight years, I sold drugs, making money, taking care of my family, extremely depressed, attempted to murder tons of people. Anger was the only emotion that I could feel. Got addicted to a drug called Xanax, but when I was 20 years old, I have four sisters, three of them are addicts, but one of them said, I want to take a moment. And she invited me to church, and I was like, I don't want to go to church. That sounds miserable. But she does what a good sister does and didn't stop asking, right? And so we roll up to this church and I heard this song, What Can Wash My Sins Away? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And that was it. One moment and I was forever changed. One moment and God started a movement that can only be contributed to his spirit and his presence and his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. He started a moment because we took possession of the moment. Southside, you guys have taken possession of a moment. You guys have a new pastor who will be coming and filling this pulpit and leading this church to fill the Great Commission. You've taken possession of a moment, but there's a lot of moments that happen between now and January. So church, you are still the church. So let's take possession of the moment. I believe that God has a moment for us today, just like he had a moment for a man named Peter. Have y'all ever heard of Peter? He's from the Bible. Peter was this boy, really, probably around 18 when Jesus found him. He was in a boat. He was fishing, probably most likely with his dad because he was probably an apprentice to his father. And so he was fishing in this boat and this man named Jesus comes up on him and he presents him with a moment. Hey, let me make you a fisher of men. I don't know about y'all, but if you were sitting in your office job and this man came up to you, he said, let me present you with a moment. You'd be like, what's he trying to sell me? Not plexus again, right? And so he's presented with a moment, come and I will make you a fisher of men. Now Peter has an option right here. He can stay in his boat where he's comfortable with, he's with, he's with his family, where he has financial 
situation coming in, right? He's taking care of himself by providing through his occupation. Or he can choose to follow this man who he doesn't really know but he's heard of and he can leave the comfort of the boat and he can follow King Jesus. So he's presented with a moment, stay or follow. And you guys know what Peter chooses, right? He gets out of the boat and he follows Jesus. He wants to become a fisher of men. And that moment transformed the life of Peter. Now, if we look at Peter again, he's in a boat another time and Peter's in this boat and he's just chilling. And then out of nowhere, there's a dude walking on the water. And they think it's a ghost. See, this goes back to uh, Israel time. They thought the waters were haunted. That's why they said it is a ghost. Because they thought when boats sank that the spirits stayed. And so they see this thing walking on water. They think it's a ghost, so they get scared. And then they say, hey, it's me, it's Jesus. He said, come out up on the water. Peter's like, okay, I'm gonna do it. So he goes to the end of the boat and he's probably, if y'all have ever thought about walking on water, it's probably a little scary, I'm assuming especially for me who can't swim. So Peter's on the edge of the boat. He's probably dipping a little bit, right? He's probably like, how is this gonna become solid? That's Jesus, I I should try. So he gets off of the boat and he starts to walk on the water. He He takes a moment. Jesus calls him off the boat again. He calls him into the water. And so he begins to walk. And y'all know the story. He gets off the boat. Everybody gets on Peter because he starts to sink. He's the only one who got off the boat. See, failure is not a failure when you do it for Jesus. Some of us are so unwilling to get off the boat, we never take a risk of failing. And I'll tell you one thing, failure produces faith. It shows you that you can't do it by your own power, but you have to have the power of God to walk with you to take you across. So Peter takes a moment and he starts to sink. Now, this moment wasn't about a lack of faith. Jesus was not upset with Peter. Jesus reaches his arm out and grabs a hold of this dude, pulls him back up and puts him on the boat. That moment forever changed Peter because Peter now knew that no matter what failure, no matter what lay before him, Jesus would be there ready to reach and grab him and pull him up. And then we see another moment for Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, Peter, who do you say I am? He's like, well, they say that you're Elijah. Or that you're a prophet. And Jesus like, I don't care what other people say that I am. I'm asking you who you say that I am. Think about that for just a moment. So often we say who others say Jesus is, but we never take possession of Jesus for ourselves. We never make Jesus our personal Lord and Savior. We try to hold him at an arm's distance. Well, he's God. I'm not good enough for him. I'm, I'm too ashamed and I'm too unworthy. No, Jesus is saying, who do you say I am with your mouth? You must confess that he is Lord, right? And so he says, who do you say I am, Peter? Not everybody else. Not who does your mom say that I am? Not who does your grandma say that I am? Not who does your best friend say that I am? Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Lord, You are the Messiah. And Jesus gives Peter this moment to recognize who he really is so that he can understand that he can have all confidence in him moving forward. That he knows that this is the Lord, that he is the son of God, that he is the awaited one. Peter knows this now. And he takes possession of a moment and Jesus says something really cool. Upon this, I will build my church. Now he's not talking about Peter literally, Peter was a great movement of the early church, but he's saying what he said. The the idea of the gospel that he is Lord. I will build something great upon this idea that I am the king of kings, that I am the Lord of lords. Peter takes possession of this moment. And y'all know another moment in Peter's life that happens after this. Jesus says, I'm gonna go to the cross. Peter says, no way. 
You can't go to the cross. I'm going to go to the cross with you. You can't go to the cross. I don't want you to die. What is Jesus saying to him? Get behind me, Satan. See, Peter doesn't understand what he's asking for. Peter doesn't understand that without the cross, there will be no redemption. That without the cross, there will be no salvation. That without the cross, without Jesus' moment, there will be no transformation. So Peter begins to see that in this moment, God is going to do something great. And he says, I'll go with you wherever. When he's sitting at the Last Supper, he's presented with another moment. Wherever you go, I go. I'm in it. I'm all in. And Jesus gives him a moment where he says, no, you're not. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter, in his full confidence, says, no, never. And then we see the next moment. Do you know Jesus? Never heard of him. Aren't you with Jesus? Nah, I don't think so. Hey, but I'm pretty sure, no, it's not me. Rooster. It says that Peter hangs his head and he leaves. Now we're going to look at another moment in John chapter 21, which is where we're going to focus on today. Some of you are like, this dude's already preached a sermon. I'm done. Hey, you'll get to lunch, I promise. Amen. Praise God. But we're going to jump into the word of God now. Uh, they say I'm a little bit new school, but I'm going to act a little bit old school. Can we stand in reverence for the reading of God's word? Man, I don't think we always understand how powerful this book is. When we stand for the reading of this word, what we're saying is we stand for Jesus. That this is something that matters. That this John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Some of you are like, did he, what did he just say? He speaks way too fast. This is South Carolina. He's got to slow it down. And so, but the word is what, what God has given us. It's him. It's, it's our nourishment. It's everything. So John chapter 15, uh, John chapter 21, starting in verse 15 is where we're going to be. It's not on the screen because I'm slow and I didn't send the email quick enough. But if you have a copy of God's words, which I trust you do, I pray that you open that to John chapter 21 and we look at verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, you were, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the privilege and the honor to follow you. I thank you that your son Jesus is why we're here. Father God, without the death, the burial, and the resurrection, there'd be no reason to be here. Because it would have, you would have been a liar if you wouldn't have resurrected. But because you are truthful, because you are truth, the resurrection happened. And because you are resurrected, we must make you Lord. So Father God, I, I pray as we go through this worship service today, as your word is preached, it would be glorifying to you. And you would use me as nothing more than a microphone to amplify your voice. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. So let's look at this again. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, son of Peter, do you love me more than these? So what's happening here is Jesus had been arrested and Peter kind of went back fishing. Jesus had died on the cross and Peter went back fishing. Jesus had been resurrected from the dead and they didn't fully know what that meant. They just knew that his body wasn't in the tomb. So Peter and his buddies, they go back fishing. They go back to the old because they can't foresee the new. 
They go back to what they knew. They assumed Jesus was dead. They assumed that his body had been taken. So they went back to their old lives, even though some of them had already seen Jesus in his resurrected body, but they couldn't fully comprehend it. And so here's Peter in the fishing boat. And they see Jesus and Jesus says, hey, cast your net over there. And they get all these fish. And Peter takes off his robe, well, picks up his robe, ties around his waist, jumps off the boat and swims to Jesus. He takes possession of a moment. And they eat together and then Jesus takes Peter and he sits him down and he says, Simon, do you love me more than these? What he's saying is he's saying, Simon, do you love me more than everybody else here? Do you love me more than your name being proclaimed? Do you love me more than your brothers? Do you love me more than your sisters? Do you love me more than your parents? Do you love me more than anything else? And when Peter says to him, says, do you love me? He uses the word agape. Agape is a Greek word for an unconditional love. A love that means you are full in, that nothing can separate you from the love that is held. And so he uses the word agape. And when Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you more than anything else. You know that I love you more than anyone else here. But Peter uses the word philo, which is a Greek word for a brotherly love. Many of you have heard of the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The word word philo is the root word of Philadelphia. And so he's saying, you know that I love you like a brother. Where Jesus is saying, I don't want to be loved like a brother. I want to be loved like your savior. I want to be loved like your God. I want you to understand the kind of love that I have for you, and it is unbreakable. Denying me three times will not separate you from my love. When you fail, it will not separate, me from, separate you from my love. When you make a mistake, it will not separate you from my love. When you feel unlovable, there will be nothing that separates you from my love. Jesus is trying to help Peter understand, I want you to understand the kind of love that I have for you. The kind of love that I have for you cannot be broken. The kind of love that I have for you cannot deny. The kind of love that I have for you is gentle. The kind of love that I have for you is forgiving. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter doesn't fully understand what's happening here. But Jesus says, feed my lambs. It's an interesting answer. I want you to take care of the farm animals. This lamb is a, is a baby sheep, Right? He wants him to take it and he wants him to nourish it. He wants it to give it the things that it needs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He asked him again. And again, he uses the word agape. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, he uses the word philo. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Okay, so feed the lambs. Now he's making a list. Feed the lambs, take care of the sheep. This is how I'm going to show Jesus that he loves me, that I love him. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He asked him again. And it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. See, there's a couple of reasons why Jesus asked this question three times. Number one is he's asking him to help him understand the kind of love that he has for Peter. Number two, he uses it as a reminder to the times that Peter denied Jesus. Because sometimes our failures are a good reminder of nowhere we don't want to go so that we know where to go. Have y'all ever had a failure? Hey, I've, I've had many failures. I've had many things attempting for God that hasn't worked out the way that I thought it would because my plans are not God's plans. See, I know sometimes in our lives we have a plan set out and we want that plan so much that we will do anything in our power to accomplish that plan. There's nothing that can prevent us from accomplishing that plan. That is our plan. And sometimes we like to throw this little tagline on it. Well, this is God's will for my life. 
See, sometimes I don't think we fully understand what we're saying when we say that this is God's will for my life and it's our plan. God's will is not your plan. God's will is his plan. Now he has sovereignty, which is a great praise the Lord, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. That he works out what is intended for evil for the, for the saving of many lives. Praise God that he has sovereignty. But you have to be careful when you say your way is God's plan. Because if you walk in your own power, God's hand will not be upon it. See, sometimes with our jobs, we say, well, God, you want me to make money for my family? Yes, praise the Lord. He does want you to make money for your family. But he also wants you to remember Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added. Money cannot be our priority because God is our priority. We can't make money our priority. We can't make our careers our priorities. Think about Peter. He had a moment. He had to give up his career to follow Jesus. Does that mean I want you to quit your job? No. I want you to think about where God has you and I want you to see how you can glorify him in the season that you're in. See, that's what he's saying to Peter is he's saying, I want you to understand the magnitude of what you're saying when you say that you love me. I want you to do these three things. I want you to care for the lambs. I want you to feed those lambs. I want you to care for the sheep and I want you to feed the sheep. See, God is giving Peter a commission here. He's saying, I want you to take care of the little ones. I want you to give them the nourishment. Where do we get our nourishment from, church? The word of God. That's where our nourishment comes from. When manna rained down from heaven in the Old Testament, it was the nourishment of God. It was them understanding that God was providing for them. They didn't have the word, but now we do, so it feeds us. That takes me to our next point. When we feed the lambs, we have to give them the word of God. No matter if they're a baby, no matter if they're 13, 16, 43, 77, 89, whatever the age may be. If you are new in the faith, you got to be fed. And church, I'm going to say something you might not like, but this isn't where you're fed. This is where you're geared up for the week. A pastor can't feed you everything you need. Because you only see a pastor once a week. Do you only eat once a week? No, you eat three times a day. You eat breakfast, and some of you, if you miss, miss, ah, if you miss breakfast, you're going to get a little hangry. <laughs> right? Some of you might get a little nauseous. You need breakfast because you need that nourishment. Some of you, if you miss lunch, you're like, hey, you better back up. About to be real unchristian. <laughs> and some of you, if you miss dinner, you wake up the next morning and you're not in a good mood. You have to eat three times a day, just like the Christian has to eat three times a day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, God gets the first word of the day. God gets the middle word of the day. And guess what? God gets that last word of the day. If God designed us to eat three times a day, then we need to eat three times a day. Church, if it is a burden for you to read the Bible once a day, have you really been transformed by God? When I became a Christian, nobody gave me a Bible for six months. Nobody talked to me. When they passed the plate in the off, uh, for the offering when I was sitting in church, I thought I had to put $5 in there and that was my admittance fee. Didn't grow up in church, never been to church. So the first time I went to church, they passed the plate. I put $5 in, thought I was in movies. A guy would come up and speak and they would have music. I was like, this is a concert. I need to pay right now. See, nobody taught me, nobody fed me. And then I didn't have the word of God. So I stopped selling hard drugs when I became a Christian and just started selling pills because nobody told me that that was illegal. I just assumed I was the intercessor between the doctors and the people. Now, some of you are like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But that's what I thought as someone who had never been to church. I hadn't been fed. And so when I find out there was a Bible six months later, 
I was like, nobody told me that God had words. I thought he just wanted to save me. I didn't know he wanted to talk to me. So once I got the word, I just consumed it and read it. Church, the bare minimum that we can do is read the Bible once a day. If you got to eat three times a day, you got to eat three times a day. If you want to grow in your faith, you got to consume the word of God. You got to consume it. Before you get out of bed, read a psalm. When you have lunch, don't watch Netflix. Read John. Before you go to bed, read Genesis. It'll take you minutes. It'll take you minutes. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than Netflix? Do you love me more than your book? Do you love me more than your app? If Jesus went to a cross and died a criminal's death, the biggest social injustice to ever happen in history, if he did that and died on a cross for you and was resurrected three days later and petitions the Father for you, how can we not read his word? And let me just tell you something. Maybe you question, well, is the Bible really worth it? Is the Bible even authentic? Hasn't it just been passed down like a game of telephone for millions of years? It's been about thousands of years. But anyways, praise God. Uh, but is it reliable? Hey, did you know the Bible is 98% proven, literarily and historically? There is no scholar, there is no historian that would disagree with that. Every story, every timeline fits perfectly with every other timeline and every other story in history. This Bible is more proven than the history books that you read at school. Praise the Lord. That's how intricate our father was when he put this together. The other 2%, if you're wondering, it hasn't been disproven, it just hasn't been discovered. So you want to talk about truth this is the truth. You got to feed those lambs. You got to feed yourself if you are a lamb. And if you're a mature believer in the faith, you'd be like Peter and you have to feed the lambs that God gives you. Church, there's many young people in this church and there's many older people in this church. Older people, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you find someone who is new in their faith, feed those lambs. It will prove to be life transforming for you and for them in the Great Commission. Next time he says, take care of my sheep. What does that mean? What does it mean we have to take care of the sheep? What does God present us with a moment for taking care of sheep? I'll tell you one thing. I don't know if y'all have ever been on a farm, but taking care of sheep is not an easy task. Want to know why? Sheep are stupid. <laughs> They'll get eaten just because. They'll wander off just because. They'll do these things just because. It's like you might have a kid and you're like, why is my kid so dumb? It's, it's okay. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass. They're just a teenager, right? Amen. I'm 30 years old now, and I look back when I was a teenager, and I'm like, what was wrong with me? What happened there, right? Yeah, somebody said that's right, right? If you, you must have a teenage son, and you might be like, what the world, right? And so, uh, but yeah, it'll pass. Sheep are stupid. And so when it says to take care of the sheep, what he's saying is he's saying set boundaries for those sheep. Teach them to live within me. Don't let them wander off. Protect them from the lies of the enemy. Hey, church, we live in an age where there's lies of the enemy everywhere. Have you ever heard of the Tickety Talk? It's this little app. Some of y'all probably have it on your phone. You watch the videos on the Tickety Talk, right? You just roll through them. Cute puppies, cute puppies, monkey dancing. War in Ukraine. Cute puppies, cute puppies. War in Israel. Do you guys know that Satan is using those things to disrupt our minds? Because we weren't created to be able to go through such emotions so quickly. Cute puppy, make me happy. Cute puppy, make me happy. Dancing monkey, that makes me happy. Oh, then catastrophe catastrophe 
been sick, I said. So catastrophe happening here. And so your mind is being so blended together that you can't understand what's good and what's bad. And you begin to see bad as good and good as bad. It's the same thing that's contributing to our identity issue here in America. Do we got an identity issue here in America? Hey, I'm going to tell you one thing. It's not about gender and it's not about sex. What that identity issue is about follower of Christ and non-follower of Christ. That identity issue is about heaven and hell. Do you all feel me? And what is happening is we're allowing these people to tell truth that they say is truth, that you can be whatever you want to be, that you don't need Jesus, and the church is allowing them to tell these truths on these apps, and we're not getting up and telling the truth, even though we got the truth. Church, if you see a problem with the world, guess who it's on to change it? You. Because Jesus called us to be the light of the world. Jesus called us to be the salt. Jesus called us to be his voice. Jesus called us to make a move. Jesus called us to get up out of our seats and go out those doors and tell the lost that there is a savior who loves them and no matter where they've been, no matter what sin they're in, they can have redemption through the son of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you can be set free in the only identity that you need to know that you're a son and a daughter of Jesus. Praise the Lord. I don't care about anything else. I care if you're a son or a daughter of Jesus. So taking care of the sheep looks like the church getting up and being the church. Hey, I don't know, Southside. I don't know y'all that well. I pray that that's what you are doing. And I pray that you are a voice in Florence, South Carolina that shows the word of God and that many people are coming to know him because there's one thing that I'm convinced about is that everybody wants Jesus. They just don't know they want him yet. They just don't know yet. See, I got to take care of the sheep and I got to show them what they want. Because a sheep, you can point it toward food. Guess what it's going to do? It's going to eat. Now, if you take a sheep and you point him toward the wilderness, guess where he's going to go? He's going to go to the wilderness. And you know what happens in the wilderness? He's going to get eaten. Church, we have to be the ones guiding gently in truth. We have to care for the sheep if we love God. We have to be the voice in the wilderness. We have to be the voice to in the darkness. We have to be the light when it looks like there is no way out. If you think the world is bad, tell them about the good Savior that we have. And I promise you one thing, God is on the verge of something so great that we won't be able to understand why he allowed us to be a part of it. And the reason he allows us to be a part of it is because we confess him as Lord and Savior. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Hey, church, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe some of the things that I'm saying to you is convicting me a little bit and you're like, I need to get up and I need to move. Maybe some of the things that I'm saying to you didn't know. Or maybe some of the things that I'm saying to you just reinforces who you are as a Christian and a believer. But there's, for those of you who are starting to say, when I go before God, I feel guilty. Because of the life that I live, because of the mistakes that I've made. Hey church, I understand that. I've been there. Just like Peter, I had denied Jesus. I haven't always glorified God. I haven't always been the man that God called me to be. And I can look at my past and I say, God, I wish you would have changed this. I wish you would have allowed me to grow up with nice parents who were Christian and they would have taken me to church instead of having them both die of drug overdoses. I wish my aunt and my uncle wouldn't have died of drug overdoses. I wish three of my sisters wouldn't have died of drug overdoses. I wish that my whole family wouldn't have died of drug overdoses, but that's what I was dealt And it's not because of God, but because of the enemy that lives inside of this world. 
So I can spend all my time living in my past or I can understand what God is doing in my present and what he wants to do in the future. I can understand that my past has paved the way for my purpose and what God wants to do is greater. So here is my encouragement to you. Don't live where you were, live where you are and live where you're going. You can't be controlled by what you were because what you were is dead and what you are now is alive. Church, I don't know where you've been. I don't know the mistakes that you've made. I don't know the things that you've been through, but I know this, there is a savior who loves you. And every situation that you are in is a situation where God is producing something inside of you. Romans 5 says this, delight in your sufferings because your sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. While we were enemies with Christ, Christ died for us. Think about that for just a moment. That means church, wherever you're at, God is doing something great. My grandpa was a pimp in downtown Cincinnati his entire life. Then he got pancreatic cancer. Three days before he died, I said, hey, you ever heard of Jesus? I had been a Christian for no more than a few months. I said, have you ever heard of Jesus? He said, I'm not good enough for Jesus. I said, well, let me tell you this story I heard. It doesn't matter how good you were. It matters that a good Savior died on a cross for you so that you could be set free. And he accepted Christ three days before he died, and he sits at the feet of the Father. My mother was a drug addict her entire life. She was beaten from an early age, thrown in closets, hit with frying pans, everything that you could imagine. Had her first child when she was 13 years old. Got addicted to drugs, stayed addicted to drugs the rest of her life. And about a year before she passed away, she came to live with me. I didn't want her to live with me. Y'all ever feel that? When you have to do something that you don't want to do, but God knows that there's a purpose. She came to live with me and she ended up accepting Christ, being baptized, and started to live her life for Jesus. She died of an accidental drug overdose because once you're an addict, you're always an addict. Someone left drugs out in front of her and she, that was her last peril, and she went to be with the Lord. But she is with the Lord because I had the opportunity to love her. And so think about this. If God wouldn't have given me a moment where I accepted Christ, then those two people wouldn't be in heaven. And if God wouldn't have given me a moment to set me through everything that he set me through, there is hundreds of people who would have never heard the gospel because God chose a moment with a sinner like me to send me on a mission to fulfill the Great Commission. Church, this is not a unique task given to only Ricky Wilson. I told you earlier, Ricky Wilson means nothing. Ricky Wilson is not good at this. Ricky Wilson is not a fine speaker. Ricky Wilson is not a good preacher. What I preach is good and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me is great. And so no matter where you are, you have an opportunity and you have a moment. So quit looking in your past, start to live in your present and see what God's gonna do in the future. Don't let who you were stop you from who God is calling you to be. Peter could have stopped right here and he could have said, no, I don't love you. This is too hard. This is too much. There's too much happening. I'm too guilty. I'm too sinful. I can't keep moving forward. But Peter chose to love Jesus. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Take care of them all. Give them the word. Give them the instruction. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and, you will, you, and lead you where you do not want to go. I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting pretty old. Once I hit 30, stuff just started going downhill. Seems like my knees don't work, my hands don't work. Ugh. You young people. But I know one thing, and that is we take pride in being able to make the decisions that we want to make. We take pride in being able to do the things that we want to do. That's why so many people don't accept Jesus because they don't want to submit to a Savior. <clears throat> the easy part about Jesus is being saved. The hard part is making him Lord. We see a lot of people who know there's a God. We don't see a lot of people who have a Lord who is their God. 
We see a lot of people who want this free range, I can do whatever I want and follow Jesus. That's not the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel doesn't say get out of hell and know Jesus. The gospel says you will be hated for what you believe. The gospel says they will hate you not for who you are, but for who I am. The gospel is not easy. The yoke is light. The burden is light because you have Jesus, but you will do things that seem hard and you will do things that aren't hard because you're with Jesus. It'll look hard, but that's just the fear of the enemy trying to keep you back from following the path that God has laid before you. When Jesus was in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, it looked hard. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and Satan was tempting him with power. What did Jesus fight back at him with? He fought back at him with the word of God. Now Satan was using the word of God, but he was using it out of context. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're trying to use the word of God to prove your path and you're taking it out of context, it's going to be real hard when you stand before Jesus. It's going to be real hard when you say, well, God wanted good things for me. Yeah, God wants good things for you. Praise the Lord when your heart is set upon him. So often we take that psalm and we say, God wants to give me the desires of our heart, but we forget about the second part. When your heart is set on him, God doesn't want to bless your bakery unless your bakery blesses Jesus. God doesn't want to give you a path where you just make a lot of money and you keep it all. You feel that? God's not stocking your bank account. I think he said something contradictory to that when he says, don't store up treasures in heaven, uh, on earth, but in heaven. If God is blessing you, it's for a purpose of blessing others. You can be comfortable, praise God, right? But you have to use the resources that God has given you. You have to use the gifts that he has given you for his kingdom because you're part of a body. And without you and the body functioning correctly, you cannot do the things that God has called you to. Church, God wants you to feed his sheep. He's asking you to do something that doesn't make any sense. He's gonna have you do things that you're not comfortable with. But guess what? Peter wasn't comfortable getting off that boat. You can't just say, well, that was in the Bible. That's something that doesn't matter anymore. No, the Bible is truth. It's living and active. The Bible is your instruction manual for the Christian life. It's no different now than it was then. People doubted. People didn't want to follow Jesus. People had mystical teachings. All the issues that we face today are not new. They're true all throughout history. There's always been people telling them that they could be what they wanted to be, that they could follow the stars. But our Jesus says, follow me. Church, I have a commission and a question for you today. Are you ready to follow the great commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he will be with you to the ends of the age. Church, the second part is, are you ready to feed the lambs? Oh, that's a response, right? Are you ready to feed the lambs? Are you ready to care for the sheep? Are you ready to feed the sheep? Church, there is a lost and dying world who is going to hell outside of these walls. Church, if we don't get up and take possession of those people and win them for the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, then they will eternally be separated from him. Church, if you love God the way that Peter loved God, here's how we know Peter loved God. He took possession of these moments. He made mistakes, but he kept moving forward. Church, you're gonna make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. Joshua makes mistakes. Kip makes mistakes. Your staff makes mistakes. Wanna know why? Because they're sinners in need of grace. Just as you are a sinner in need of grace, you will make mistakes. But our Jesus does not put us to shame. When we make mistakes, our Jesus pulls us out of the water, puts us back on the boat, and tells us to keep moving forward. Our Jesus is our Lord. Our Jesus wants a great movement in Florence, South Carolina. 
Carolina that has never been seen before because our Jesus is still alive. Can y'all feel that? Our Jesus is still alive. You know what makes Christianity different than everything else? We have a relationship with our God. In Buddhism, it's hard, to, it's hard to help a Buddhist come to know Jesus. Want to know why? They know their God's dead. They know he's not alive. They're trying to escape into nirvana. They're trying to escape their dirt bodies and get out of it. Guess who could do that? Jesus, and he's alive. Muslims try to earn their salvation. There's nothing to earn with Jesus. He took it all upon himself. You think it's hard to share the gospel? It's not. You just let the fear of what someone thinks of you hold you back from telling them the one that you love. Church, I've shared the gospel thousands of times over the last seven years. I've been rejected on one hand. That is a lie of the enemy to make you think that they don't want what you have. Hey, they want what you have, but you got to lead with love. Anybody who comes up to you and says, hey, you're going to hell. Yeah, you're not going to. You're going to be like, who are you to judge me, right? But if you go up to someone and tell them, hey, there's a Jesus who loves you. Let me tell you how he loved me, how he took me from the grave and brought me to life. Let me tell you about how you are in need of him because without him you will be eternally separated from him. But I want to walk with you to take you to where God wants you to be. Sometimes where God wants us to be is not where we want to be. Peter, when he was taken to where he didn't want to be, was to be crucified upside down. They put him on a cross and they hung him upside down because Peter didn't feel like he was worthy to be dying in the same manner as Jesus. So they put him upside down. You want to know why that's so miserable? Because gravity. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he would have to push up on, his, on the nails in his feet so that he could breathe because of gravity. So every breath he had to take, he had to push up on his wounds so that he could take a breath. Why he was thinking about you. Think about that for just a moment. Why he was on that cross, he was thinking about you. And he pushes up so that he can take another breath. When Jesus went to the cross, it was painful. When Peter went to the cross, it was painful. And Peter had everything working against him. So he couldn't even breathe. And he knew that was going to happen, and he still did it. Church, today you have a question to answer. Are you ready to suffer for the name of Jesus? And in suffering, it won't feel like suffering because the reward is so great. There is nothing that can stop our God. Do you feel that? The Holy Spirit is moving. I'm gonna ask the band to come up because we're gonna do a time of invitation. And I have a question for you today, church, another question. I've asked you a lot of them. And some of you are like, I just wanna go to church and listen. I don't wanna be asked things. Church, but this is serious because we are a family. And just because I'm not a part of Southside Baptist Church, I'm a part of Southside Baptist Church because I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And so no matter what we have in our lives, Jesus has a great plan for us. So I have a question for you. Are you ready to do something that only God can do? Are you ready to suffer for the name of Jesus? Because in that suffering will produce perseverance, character, and character hope. Are you ready to tell people about the same hope which was given to you on the cross? While you were a sinner, while you were in opposition to Jesus. He came from heaven. He was ridiculed and he was mocked. And they threw him on a cross and they nailed him to that cross. They nailed him to that cross for you. They thought they were doing good for them. They were doing evil for them and good for us. They nailed him to a cross and he died on that cross. Died quicker than most people die on a cross because the weight of your sin was upon him. All the shame, all the guilt was laid on Jesus. All my shame, all my guilt was laid on Jesus. All my sin was laid on Jesus. All your sin was laid on Jesus. And Jesus took that for us and he died. 
And then they put him in a tomb thinking that, the, that it was over. That they could go back to their own way of life. That they could go back to their traditions of their fathers. That they could go back to being zealous for what they wanted. That they could go back to the religion that they have created when the religion that they were created was not about the relationship with Jesus. So it cannot stand because it was created by man and not created by God. They had taken something that was great for God and they had manipulated something that fit them. Church, I feel like that's what we do with our gospel. Try to make it fit our standard. And then three days later, that, roll, that rock rolled away. And out came the Savior of the world, Jesus. Out came the new way of life, the new covenant as Jesus referred to it. Then he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father after making obvious to everybody that he was still alive. Church, that same Jesus that resurrected is the same Jesus that's living today. Are you ready to see what God has in store for you? Are you ready to feed the lambs? Are you ready to care for the sheep? And are you ready to feed the sheep? And are you ready to fulfill the commission in which God has called you to? Church, are you ready to see God do something that you haven't seen? Are you ready to see a movement of God that's never stopped? Are you ready to see this place bursting out the seams and the walls shaking because the Holy Spirit of God has put his hand on upon you. Are you ready to see what God wants to do? Here's what it's going to take. It's going to take you falling to your knees and asking God to do it. It's going to take you repenting of your sin and it's going to take you giving yourself to Jesus. Church, I have to do the same thing every single morning. I'm a sinner in need of grace every single morning. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 70 years or 7 minutes. We still have to come before our Jesus and show him that we are humbly bowing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You might be here today and you may have never heard this message that Jesus is Lord. Or maybe you know there's a God but you don't have a relationship. Today's the day for a relationship. Stop knowing it. Even the demons know and shudder. So if you need a relationship with Jesus, the altar is open. Joshua's right here. He can lead you through that. Number two, if you've been convicted today because you're like, man, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the life I want to live, but there's so much holding me back. Then the altar's open to come and pray and repent. God, I, I know I'm not a bad person. I know that I've made mistakes, but God, I want to do for you. I'm ready to do for you. Maybe you just need to be discipled. Maybe you need someone to walk with you and teach you what it looks like to be a Christian. In the book of Acts, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, how can I understand if someone doesn't teach me? Maybe you just need to be taught. Maybe today's the day that you need to do that. And you need to get on your knees and ask God, who is that man, who is that woman that you want to teach me? Or maybe you're just going through a lot right now. It's Thanksgiving. Hey, Thanksgiving's a struggle. I get it. I lost both of my parents to drug overdoses. My mother-in-law passed away from cancer. I've been there. I don't have a whole lot of family, except for the great family that God has given me, my wife, our three children, and the one that's coming, right? But I know that can still be hard. You still think about the person that you've lost. Maybe you just need to be comforted by God right now. Maybe you just need to pour out your soul to God right now. And so the altar is open for you to pray, no matter what your response looks like. Don't just sit there the same way that you came in. Fall before our God. And maybe you just need to praise him. Just praise him. We're going to sing. Praise our God for who he is. 